Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. Professor Joseph Garfinkel is probably the greatest biblical archaeologist in the world today. And without even trying to, he ended up dramatically proving the Bible true. Professor Garfinkel was here in Edmond this past week. He went to an Oklahoma City Thunder basketball game. He attended the Maxwell Quartet concert at Armstrong Auditorium. And he also delivered an hour-long lecture to Herbert W. Armstrong College students, Imperial Academy students, and faculty and other guests. And he had a lot of excitement in his presentation. He was showing things that he found at a couple of different Judean dig sites. And it was pretty interesting. He was talking at one point about a comb that he found and how the comb had an inscription about eradicating lice <laughs> from the head. Now, Professor Garfinkel has really made some incredible discoveries. He actually is not a religious man. And yet he does study the Bible to determine where he should dig, to prove what some of his discoveries really are. He dug at Kirbet Kayafa from 2007 to 2013. This is a town on the border of Judah and Philistia. These two rival kingdoms, one led by King David the other, which was the home of Goliath, the very giant that David slew. The whole debate, though, about Kirbet Kayafa was when did it really exist? This is a fortified site. It is more advanced than a lot of scholars think it should be from for for the 10th century BC. So the thing is if King David really existed and ruled in the 10th century BC and he was capable of creating these impressive fortified structures that would mean that King David was actually a powerful king just like the Bible says. Professor Garfinkel wanted to dig at this site, not because he was trying to prove King David to be exactly who the Bible said he was, but really because of the advantageous location as a border site, like I mentioned, and also the fact that there was a very large, heavily fortified city wall encircling the whole site with the bedrock exposed. 
this was an ideal dig site, regardless of what he would find there. In fact, he said in an interview with our own Brent Noctegall, who works for Let the Stone Speak, you can go to armstronginstitute.org and read his work. You can listen to his podcast as well. You can get a free subscription to our Let the Stone Speak magazine there at armstronginstitute.org. But Professor Garfinkel told Brent Noctegall that he didn't expect to find anything in particular at Kirbet Kayafa. He just said, I believed it would be a beautiful city close to the surface and that it would be possible in a short time to excavate a large part of the city. But I had no idea whether the city would be from the 10th century, 9th century, or 8th century BC. Again, the reason why the, the century in question is so important is because if it really does align with the time of King David, it proves the Bible true. No one at the time that Professor Garfinkel dug there would have believed that Kirbet Kaiapha was a 10th century BC site. But when they practiced radiocarbon dating on some olive pits from the site, they realized that the site really was from around 1000 BC, from the time of King David, a fortified city in Judah from King David's time. Professor Garfinkel said, there is a whole debate about whether King David was a historical figure or a mythological figure. And if he was an actual historical figure, was he just a Bedouin sheik living in a tent or did he have a well-established kingdom? A kingdom is not abstract. A kingdom has fortified cities on its borders. It has trade routes and writing. You have the collection of taxes and an administration. This is the big question. Did such an administration exist in the early 10th century BC? This site, Kirbet Kaiapha, is a fortified city right on the border of Judah, and it is directly opposite the Philistine city of Gath. You can picture a couple of fortified cities looking out across the border at each other, ready at any moment for the enemy to strike and perhaps ready to strike the enemy first. These two rival kingdoms, Judah and Philistia, Judah had to be strong because Philistia and a lot of other nations around were always a threat. And now the Bible says that Judah was strong under King David. Is that true? Is the Bible accurate? In 1993, a discovery was made called the Tel Dan Steel, and it talks about a king from the house of David. This means that a man named David had a kingly dynasty, and this artifact was from around 100 to 120 years after David. David's line lived on. This was an actual artifact proving the existence of a leader named David. Basically, in 1993, that question of whether David was a real historical figure was settled. He couldn't be a mythological figure. 
if an actual relic of history proves that a man named David, a king named David once existed. Once you prove the existence of David, you just have to decide, was he really as powerful as the Bible says? Now, as I mentioned, the fact that Kirbet Kaiapha was a fortified city in Judah at the time of King David shows that not only did David exist, but he also was powerful. The sad thing is the fact that they have to get this detailed in the first place to actually believe the Bible. There are so many people who viciously oppose everything the Bible says just by their own impulse, just on instinct. They oppose whatever the Bible says. Professor Garfinkel commented on that. The idea of biblical minimalism has become a religion. Biblical minimalism basically means that most of the Bible is probably false and there might be a few passing details from the Bible that happen to be accurate. Basically, the Bible is minimally true. You could put it that way. Professor Garfinkel continues commenting on these skeptics. If something is written in the Bible, the truth must be opposite. You can see this in article after article. They are debating the biblical tradition, whether their arguments fit or don't fit the data. He also said, minimalists are trying to destroy 100% of the biblical tradition. This methodologically is incorrect. If you said white, these people would say black. But if you said black, they would say white. He goes on to explain how these people don't even bother to present proof. They don't even give reasons for their theories. They just viciously oppose the truth from the Bible. There is no open-minded scientific process going on with these people. The professor once wrote in our era, there is no clear cut boundary between science, science fiction and wishful thinking. You have probably noticed that the almighty science has let us down many times in the world recently. You can't just say you represent science or that science is infallible. The whole idea of science is that things can be proven. And then later on, if new discoveries are made, the science has to be updated. The way that science is presented today, it's so dogmatic. Like the, the authority figures are just absolutely right. There's no chance they could ever be wrong. Even though the definition of their field means that new evidence is going to come to light at some point. And perhaps that evidence could contradict them. Why are these people so convinced that the Bible is wrong? Is there any logical, reasonable explanation for this? Why are people starting to 
interpret the science so wildly, so anti-Bible. Professor Garfinkel said, I didn't come with any biased thoughts, whether the Bible is 100% history or the Bible is all fiction. I see myself more as a scientist. Personally, I'm not a religious person, so the Bible is not holy for me. I know for billions of people in the world, the Bible is a holy text, and I understand that. For me, it's a historic text. I'm not trying to prove the Bible or disprove the Bible. I want to know for myself what really happened. It's really a scientific curiosity, a personal curiosity. I don't care about low chronology, high chronology, maximalist, minimalist. I want to know the truth. This is my motivation. And it is interesting how just one man with an unbiased perspective could come into the field of biblical archaeology like this and, and blow wide open the question of whether King David really existed and really was powerful. The answer is yes and yes. He did exist. He was powerful. Regardless of what any of the skeptics say, if we let the stones speak, the stones tell us that David was a powerful king at the time the Bible indicates. But why is it so important? Why are we so concerned about biblical archaeology in God's work today? Why do we devote resources and manpower to supporting biblical archaeology? In Jerusalem. Notice here Isaiah 22, verse 21. It speaks of a specific figure, one man in this end time, and it describes him as a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. You can prove by the message who that man is today which man is delivering a message specifically to the Jewish nation in the Middle East, a message of peace, a message of hope, a message about the eternal future of Jerusalem. Notice another prophecy related to this. Isaiah 40, verse 9, it says, Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. This is a message being delivered in this end time, particularly through one man, God using one man, and the rest of us supporting him. But who today is telling the cities of Judah, the Jewish state, behold your God? A couple of months ago, the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology opened up in Jerusalem. This archaeology institute is affiliated with the Philadelphia Church of God. And the founder of this new institute, Mr. Gerald Flurry, 
spoke about Herbert W. Armstrong. He is our predecessor. He did a powerful work in Jerusalem. In fact, he flew there 50 times in a four-year period. He met with every president and prime minister over the course of about a decade's time. And they all loved him very much. And in fact, Mr. Armstrong spoke privately with these Jewish leaders. These leaders invited him. They wanted to visit with him. And when Mr. Armstrong would meet with these leaders, he gave them the message of peace. Since its inception, the Jewish nation has been surrounded by bitter enemies. Enemies that would love to wipe them off the map. Jew, the Jews do not know peace. Jerusalem does not know peace today. And yet here was this man, Herbert W. Armstrong, delivering a message of peace to the Jewish leaders. He taught them about the hope-filled future of Jerusalem. Notice here Isaiah 2, verses 3 and 4. And many people shall go and say, Come you, and let us go up to the mountain of the Eternal, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Eternal from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. So we see this picture of Jerusalem's future and how all people will be taught from Jerusalem. They will learn the way of peace from Jerusalem. The law will be taught from Jerusalem. There will be no use for weapons of war anymore, and so those will be repurposed into farming implements. But this gives us a clue as to why so many people loudly oppose the Bible, why so many people so strongly resist biblical archaeology. It's talking about law here. There's a connection between biblical archaeology and Jerusalem and the future of Jerusalem as a center for teaching the law to all mankind. And every time an artifact is uncovered that proves the Bible, it reminds us of the Bible, the law book. This is a book all about the law. The world will be taught from this law book at Jerusalem. That is in our future. Now, particularly King David is a strong reminder of the law. These, these Bible skeptics don't realize 
quite why they resist biblical archaeology so strongly. But ultimately, this is why. It all points back to the law. Psalm chapter 119 is a legendary Bible passage. Just absolutely incredible. 172 verses or 176 verses of King David just praising God's law. Throughout this chapter, he talks about how he loves God's law more than gold and silver. He rejoices at the law as someone who finds treasure. He talks about how he will prevail over his enemies by keeping God's law. He talks about thinking about God's law all day long, beholding wondrous things out of God's law. That's Psalm 119 verse 18. This entire chapter is just David extolling the virtues of God's law. And here, Professor Garfinkel found proof of King David existing in the 10th century BC, having the capability to, to build fortified cities in Judah, meaning that he was a powerful king, just like the Bible claims. And piece by piece, biblical archaeology continues to prove the Bible true. The historical record of the Bible is undefeated. Every time they try to come up with an apparent contradiction, they fail. The Bible is absolutely true historically, but what about the rest of it? What about the fact that the Bible is a book of law? What about the fact that King David praised God's law and encouraged everyone around him to keep God's law? His admonition to keep God's law is recorded in the Bible for us as well. The Bible is a law book, and it's directly connected to Jerusalem, the future of Jerusalem, to biblical archaeology, to all of these characters from the Bible being verified through the discoveries in the dust and, and dirt and stones of Jerusalem. It all points back to this law book, the Bible. That is the reason for all the hostility toward Mr. Garfinkel, toward anyone else who would dare to approach biblical archaeology with an open mind. He is not religious. The late Dr. Lotmazar was not religious. But they could see that by simply trusting in the Bible as a historical record, they got tremendous results when, whenever they would dig. They could see by the fruits that the historical record of the Bible is true. But we need to take it a step further, and we need to realize the historical part of the Bible is just a small part of it. Ultimately, the entire Bible is for our benefit. 
The history tells us what to do to be blessed. It tells us what not to do if we want to avoid being cursed. The Bible gives us many commands. It tells us the right way to live. All of these historical figures in the Bible have incredible life lessons to teach us. And it all gets back to the law. When we keep the law, we prosper. We soar. But when we break the law, it breaks us. That's ultimately the, the message of the entire Bible. And this is a message proven and reinforced every time someone like Professor Garfinkel digs in the dirt of Jerusalem and anywhere around Jerusalem. There's so much in those stones and we just have to let the stones speak. What an incredible opportunity to be part of this whole process here. Mr. Armstrong was very involved in biblical archaeology. We are very involved in biblical archaeology today. But ultimately, it's about delivering a message of peace. It's about connecting the discoveries to Jerusalem, to the future of Jerusalem as a law center, as a place where all mankind will go to be taught about God's law. It really is beyond biblical archaeology. We could call it biblical archaeology, or we could also say beyond archaeology. That's our purpose in God's work, to just focus on the law and the blessings that come from keeping it. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time. Thank you.